Tonight's Bible reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you've got a Bible, it'd be good to open that and read along. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as of those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that, you, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are, when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. We will remind you of my, he will remind you of my ways of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with that what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Well, welcome to church tonight, everyone. My name's Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival, and if I haven't met you yet, uh, I'd love to meet you after the service. I thought it'd be great tonight to start by opening in prayer and asking God to uh, unveil his will for our lives tonight through this passage. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd speak to us tonight, that you'd unblock our ears and open our eyes and soften our hearts to your word so that we may know what is pleasing to you, so that we may know the best way to live. 
and we wouldn't be afraid in this world, but we would be thriving in the knowledge that you have victory over sin and death. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, there's a uh, terrific old movie that I'm sure most of you haven't seen, but it's actually regarded as a classic, you know, one of those classic movies on Apple TV or whatever, or Google Plus or whatever you might watch, where there's that section where you can go to drama, action, classics. I don't know if you're a kind of classics person. I've always been a bit of a classics person. I've always loved to go back and look at old movies because it shows me more about what people of that time used to think, and I really like that sort of thing. Uh, but it's also fun just to see a movie that's a bit... Um, uh, cheesy and one of the the best movies that I've seen that one of the cheesiest ones from those classic collections is a movie called Ben-Hur has anyone seen that movie oh there's a few laughs good thanks Brad that was good um, I've got a clip from Ben-Hur this is set in the old day okay, there you go if you want to see what the Roman Emperor has to say you'll have to watch the movie it's very exciting that is probably the most honour and power that someone of that generation could actually achieve. If a Roman uh, general actually went into a foreign nation to conquer them, say somewhere like Gaul, which is in modern-day France, the Romans conquered Gaul. And when they conquered Gaul, what they do is they take all the territory for Rome and then they plunder the territory and take slaves from the territory and then bring all the plunder back to Rome with the army that had defeated the Gauls and they'd bring along with them the prisoners that they'd fought. So in that big procession, they'd process through the city with the army and everyone had come out. The whole city would come out. Uh, at that time, they estimate there's about a million people lived in Rome. It's the first major metropolis that we know of. And in Rome, there would have been a fair number of those people that would turn out for such a procession because it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. And so these processing victors would come down the thing. Now, what's interesting in that, you saw the huge numbers of actors and cast and stuff that's in that. That's before CGI. That's what, another reason why I like old movies. When you see lots of people, there's usually lots of people there rather than just CGI. Uh, but yeah, so there they all are and the, the army's coming in and they're all really happy. It's kind of a precursor to the American ticker tape parades that they have over in America. You know, the idea everyone comes out and celebrates the conquering army. But what they didn't show in that scene was at the tail end of that, they would process all the prisoners. And so they would actually take the opposing general, if he was still alive, strip him naked and then process him through the city in chains along with all his army who were also in chains and following them was all the gold and all the treasure that they looted from their country. It was actually incredible uh, because the people got to cheer for their army and then they got to throw stuff at the enemies and it was a complete humiliation. So if the Roman general standing on the podium with the emperor is the greatest honour a Roman could achieve in that time, the greatest dishonour was to be in the same parade at the back being paraded at the back with everybody else. Now, this is front of mind in Paul's mind as he comes to chapter 4. And I'm going to share with you in a minute why this procession is so important to Paul. But before I get onto that procession, I want to ask you a question that I think Paul is asking you tonight as he writes chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians. Obviously, he's talking to the church in Corinth, but he's also talking to us as well. He's talking to all Christians in this passage and he's asking us the question, why do you go to church? What is it that you've hoped to uh, achieve tonight? Why have you come here? What are you hoping to learn? What are you hoping to experience? 
What's your motivation for being here tonight? Well, as you think about that, what I want to do is I want to start off by showing you what Paul's motivation is. Paul's motivation for being a Christian, for being part of the church, and for actually his whole life altogether is there in verse 1 in chapter 4, and it'll come up on the screen. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. So he has two things he wants to say are his motivation for coming to church with the Corinthians, or in this case, writing to them. First of all, he's a servant of Christ. Now, the word servant of Christ can also be translated slave of Christ. And here we see the first nuance of what's to come with this procession. He's actually calling himself a slave. Now, it's quite common these days to hear people say that the Bible doesn't say anything bad about slavery. Have you heard people say things like that? Have you seen people on TV say things like that? If you haven't, you will hear people say stuff like that. I couldn't disagree more. If you look at the Bible, the Bible is an anti-slavery document. And it's such a strong anti-slavery document that evangelical Christians um, over in England actually fought hard to actually overturn state slavery, which was one of the first times in history that human beings have ever stopped slavery. And it actually was evangelical Christians that were motivated by the Bible to actually overturn slavery. One of the reasons is because the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God himself rescued the slaves in Egypt. Right there you have a pattern that will go right through the whole of the Bible which says God releases the slaves. Paul calls us as human beings slaves to sin because we can't actually stop sinning. We, it's just what we do. We just can't. We don't have it in us to stop sinning. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments to show us that we can't actually be righteous in our own right and we can't obey the whole of the law. The Ten Commandments isn't there to say, if you do these ten things, you'll be perfect. It's to say, hey, can you do any of these ten things? Now, I've never coveted my neighbour's donkey. I can say I've never done that. But do you know why? So I've never had a neighbour with a donkey. I am so sinful and so corrupt in my heart that if there was a neighbour with a donkey, I reckon one day I'd be thinking, I wouldn't mind having that donkey. I reckon that donkey could eat the grass for me instead of me mowing the lawn. I reckon that donkey could carry my kids around in the front yard in parties. I could do with a donkey. See, the human heart is corrupt. We're so corrupt that if we walk through a park and there's lovely pathway and we're walking along the pathway and either side there's lovely green grass... Well, we might not even think of walking on the grass, but then you turn a corner and there's the sign, don't walk on the grass. And you think to yourself, oh, I might walk on the grass. That's what the Lord does to us human beings. We go, oh, I think I might break that one. One of my biggest struggles in life is Northwest Arm Road. And I've shared this with you many times. I really struggle to understand why Northwest Arm Road has a speed limit of 50 kilometres an hour. I struggle. I pray, God, as I turn off President Avenue today, please help me to be godly. And sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. You see, we're all a slave to something. That's what Paul's saying. And if we are not in Christ, we're slaves to sin. But here this strange word comes up that Paul says that now that I've been freed, like God has rescued me from slavery to sin, because I've 
met the living Jesus on the road to Damascus and he's taken this, you know, he's, he's, he's taken me from being a persecutor of Christians to being a Christian evangelist. And now I've put my faith in Jesus. I know that his death on the cross has paid for my sin so that now I have victory over sin and I'm forgiven from my sin. I have the Holy Spirit living in me so I can fight the fight of faith and I can fight sin when I used to find it really hard to. The book of James talks a lot about the fact that we need to put our faith into practice, don't we? It's not enough to just say, yeah, I follow Jesus. He has to be our Lord. We have to follow him as Lord and actually endeavour to do what he says. And this is why here in this verse, verse 1, Paul is calling himself a slave of Christ. He's gone from being a slave of sin to a slave of Christ. But if I have to be slave of something, I'll tell you what I want to be a slave of. You know, being a slave of Christ, you know Christ, that guy? You know that guy that said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? You know that guy? You know that guy that looked on the crowds and he had compassion for them in Matthew 9? And he said, look at them, they're broken. And when you look around this room tonight, we're all in various states of brokenness, really, aren't we? You know, we have a crack each day. We get up and we give it a good go. But we live in a fallen world and we can live broken lives too. But we're rescued from that. Jesus gives us victory over sin and we can fight sin. And we don't have to step on the grass anymore. And we can go at 50 kilometres an hour down Northwest Arm Road because the Holy Spirit helps us. We won't be perfect until we get to heaven, but we give it a good go, don't we? But a slave or a servant of Christ is actually the reason Paul comes to church. And I reckon a lot of modern Christians probably don't think like that. I don't know if you do, but I don't always think like that. I don't go to church thinking that I'm actually a servant of Christ. That's why I'm going. But actually, that's what Paul's thinking is a bit of a baseline for us as Christians. We're a slave or we're a servant of Christ. Now, you might have a problem with that because you might be saying, but Stuart, didn't you say that the Bible's against slavery and now you're calling me a slave of Christ? Well, what a slave of Christ is, is a servant who loves to do the master's business. That's what a slave of Christ is. Someone who is wholly signed up for it. And unlike human slavery... Human servitude, humans who serve Jesus have eternal glory waiting for them as a reward. We are told time and time again, and we're told in this passage tonight, that sooner or later God is going to reveal what is hidden. Did you see that in the passage? And when he reveals what is hidden, it says in this passage tonight, he's going to give us our reward. So slavery in the world is a definition that you you work for someone with no honour, with no reward, and you actually are used But actually the opposite is true. Imagine flipping that upside down and completely changing the definition of a slave into someone who is going to be greatly rewarded doing something they love to do, serving the master. That's the idea here. And you see that right through scripture. In fact, we looked at that with Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He said time and time again, blessed are you, blessed are you. And all the things he said were blessed were things that the world would despise. So he says, blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are you if you don't rate yourself. (laughs) Now, I know a lot of us struggle with that sometimes, don't we? Confidence, self-esteem. Sometimes we struggle with anxiety. But Jesus says a funny thing. Blessed, happy are you if you are actually not rating yourself because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the idea is that if I don't rate myself and I'm not proud, I'm not going to think I don't need God. I'm going to actually call out to him for help. And if I call out to Jesus for help, he has never left that prayer unanswered. Can I tell you that tonight? If you've come along to check out who this Jesus Christ guy is, 
If you call out to him and say, God, can you please reveal yourself to me? He always answers that prayer. It's a wonderful prayer to pray. So being a servant of Christ is actually the opposite of being a servant in the world. But it's a humble position still. And I think that's what's really interesting about this passage. It's a delightful humility, I like to call it, to be a Christian servant of Christ. That's the first reason he goes to church. The second is because he's been entrusted with the mysteries of God that God has revealed. And we've talked about that time and time again through this series, uh, referencing Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and following, because when Jesus started his ministry, what did he say? He said, I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe in me. Repent of your sin and believe in me. That's the mystery that Paul is revealing. So that's his motivation. That's his why. Basically, we summarise that at Soul Revival as those two things as Jesus changes everything. It changes me from a slave to sin to a slave of Christ. And it changes me from someone who doesn't have anything to say, really, to someone who has the most awesome message the world has ever heard. It's quite a motivation, isn't it? You see, Jesus changes everything, and because Jesus changes everything, he calls on us to partner with him as he changes everything. That's why we go to church. We're actually partnering with Jesus when we come to church. Now, we can have a lot of other good reasons for coming to church. In fact, as you were sitting there thinking about your why, I'm sure there's lots of really good reasons to come to church, but I want you to have those two things in mind now to have a think about it. Could Paul's motivation become my motivation? Could I think of myself as doing the master's business, partnering with Jesus to share the gospel? Because that's what Paul's saying here. But what he contrasts that with in this passage is that he then goes on and he says this interesting thing. He says, you know, because I'm partnering with Jesus, I actually care very little if anybody judges me there in verse 3. Not a human court, not even my friends. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't even make me innocent. You see, even if you have a clear conscience and you think you're not sinning, as Anna said some of those kids were doing, we are sinners. And Paul's saying here, even if my conscience is clear, actually, I'm still a sinner. What makes me confident is the Lord judges me. And he knows that the Lord judges me not based on what I do and what I don't do. You don't get to heaven by being a good person and go to hell by being a bad person. That's from the Simpsons, not from the Bible. You get to heaven by accepting Christ and becoming a servant of Christ. Repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus is the way you are judged positively by God. But if you don't accept Christ, then you'll be judged and have to make an account of your sins yourself. Either Jesus pays for what you've done or you do. So Paul's saying here, what do I care if other people judge me? I'm a servant of Christ. That's my identity. That's my why. Now, can I pause there for a minute and just ask you that? Can you say that confidently tonight? Because I don't think I can, actually. I, I constantly struggle feeling judged in lots of different areas of my life, even within the church. When I go along to church sometimes, I can sometimes feel a bit judged. I know I can be judgy too, so I'm not saying it's just one way. But even when I went to a regional conference last week with a whole heap of ministers from the region, 60 churches from the Anglican Church in the Wollongong region, no one judged me but some days I felt a bit judged. And I don't think anybody meant it. But a couple of times people went, geez, nice haircuts, Stu. I'm like, oh, does that mean they think I have a nice haircut? Or does that mean I should probably cut my hair? Do they think I'm too old to have long hair? Or do they think I'm something? 
Do you ever go in those thoughts? In that thought process? Do you spiral down sometimes when you worry about what other people think of you? Well, Paul's interesting here because he's like, yeah, nah, Stu, I don't actually. (laughs) I kind of don't really care if other people judge me or if a human court judges me because I care that God judges me. That's actually a really beautiful freedom if we can really think about meditating on that in the weeks to come, isn't it? Why do I worry so much about what other people think of me when it doesn't mean anything? Now, sometimes it does, but Paul's saying here, he's living in Roman Britain, uh, Roman Britain, Roman, (laughs) there's a slip of the tongue, Roman (laughs) occupied lands. If he says the wrong thing, he's going to be killed and he does get killed. He does get judged by human courts and he's killed. But he still doesn't care. Well, why is it spoken of here and why doesn't he care? Let's have a look in verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So that's what I was saying earlier about the fact that as servants of Christ, we will receive our praise. Now, at the moment, I'm looking around at a room full of garden variety, everyday human beings. But I'm looking around at a group of people and I know there's one or two Christians here. Do you reckon I might be accurate about that? Do you reckon there might be one or two Christians here in this room? Now, if I could see you right now, Christian, as you will look on Judgment Day, whoa, I would need sunglasses. You may think that you are pretty good looking right now. You may think that you're ruggedly handsome or incredibly attractive. But wait until you see your glorified body as you will be in heaven. When all the sin is stripped away, all the fallenness is stripped away, and all that is left is that person who's made in the image of God uncorrupted, washed in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 7, we're told that there'll be people from every nation on earth washed in the blood of the Lamb. How good are you going to look when you are washed? Now, you might be going, that's weird. Washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hang on, whoa, 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 where are you going there? Jesus is described as the lamb because he was a sacrifice for the people and his blood rather than just being drained out for the sin of a few people is actually going to clean all those who turn to him in faith that's the day Paul's looking forward to being glorified so while he's on earth he remains in Matthew 5 blessed are those who are poor in spirit that's his mantra As a result, I'm not going to let anyone judge me because I'm just going to be humble and I'm going to wait for Jesus to appear and he will actually vindicate me when the time comes. Have you been wronged this week? I reckon in a room this big, there must be one or two of us that have been wronged by someone this week. Has anybody been up at night, late at night, feeling angry this week? If you haven't done it this week, do you ever get angry sometimes? Angry a little bit? No, no one does never no one gets angry here wow that's mad i get a bit cranky sometimes when i feel like people are judging me i don't have to worry about it because at the moment i just look like a garden variety human being but i think about how one day i'll be revealed as as a child of god and that's when i look forward to being vindicated does that make sense But the problem is here in the passage, and we won't spend too much time on it, but what we've got here is a problem because the Corinthians actually think that their time for being made glorious is not in heaven when they get to Revelation 7, but it's right now, right here on earth. They are the greatest Christian church that has ever been. You've got to go to the church in Corinth if you're a Christian. If you really want to go to the humming church of the time, 
The church where it's all happening, with the best programs, the coolest church with the best music, with the best preachers. Apollos is a rocking preacher. They're really proud of him. They're really proud of their dinners. They get into it. Their Lord's Supper is not just a piece of, what is it? The gluten-free bread (laughs) and a little sip of little juice. These guys are getting stuck into these big feasts with all the wine they can drink. We find out later that they're getting hammered. That's how good they're... Imagine if you could go to church and your friends go, oh, you're going to church? How boring. Really? I'm going to go and have three-course meal and get hammered for free every week. Imagine if we put on a keg every week at Solis and I'm standing up here doing laybacks on the, on the, on the lectern. You go, to, you go to work on Monday. Oh, what did you do, Christian, on Saturday, you boring thing? Oh, we were having laybacks on the lectern. It was mad. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You are so proud. He says that you guys think you're already rich. Have a look in verse 8. Already you have, have all you want, right? Oh, already you've become rich. Oh, you don't have to wait for the end times. You have become, uh, the, the day of judgment. You've become, uh, uh, began to reign now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. The rest of us pleb Christians, we're not as good as you, but you're going you're going good. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so we also might reign with you. Because I tell you what, if you're already reigning, we could go to your church, do laybacks on the lectern. Do you know, I was driving down Cronulla one day on Australia Day and it was before they built all the units down on Surf Road. I think it's Surf Road. What's that one on the hill there, on the alley or whatever it's called? You know that road that goes along everyone parks on? Dogs walk up and down, they poop all the time. And you're always treating it. You know that road? And there's a big rock wall, you go down to the beach. Well, on the corner, there used to be an old fibro house. And in that fibro house, they had a hills hoist. Do you know what a hills hoist is? It's what we used to use to dry clothes before technology. We used to go outside and hang them up and let the wind dry them before dryers. Anyway, on Australia Day, there was a bunch of people having a party and they weren't drying clothes on the hills hoist. They were having a really interesting church service. Not a Christian church service, a Sutherland Shire church service. Because church means gathering, right? And they were having a gathering. They had the goon of fortune in the front yard. The goon of fortune is when you get a 14 or $7 bag of wine and you tie it to one of the stays on the clothes hoist and you spin it around and it goes around and there's people who are standing in a circle and whoever's under the goon of fortune when it stops gets to have a layback. And I just stopped my car. <laughs> I'm sitting in my car watching these bozos doing the goon of fortune. Hey, this is living. I'm like, cold chisel, eat your heart out. Talking about cheap wine and a three-day growth. But you know what? That's what people live for in our world, isn't it? The goon of fortune. Sometimes it gets a bit more sophisticated than that. But that's not what we live for. But the Corinthians are living for the now. I want to experience everything life has. And the warning to us today is you can't live in both worlds. You can't follow Jesus and be a slave to Christ and a slave to sin. I think the Goon of Fortune was a really good example of being a slave to sin. Heaps of fun until the next morning when you get a really bad headache and you vomit up all over your doona. But everyone loves you because you're a hero. 
Go, you good thing. The Corinthians were into that. They cared about what other people thought. While Paul doesn't care if he gets judged, that's all they care about. Are we a cool group of people or not? Now, unfortunately, as Christians today, sometimes we think to ourselves, if we're just cool Christians, then everyone will love us. But Paul says, no, we aren't like that. And that's where we come back to the parade. The Corinthians wanted to be on the front of the parade with all the Roman soldiers walking up the steps, getting the baton, whatever the heck that baton was from the emperor. You saw it in this clip. That's what they thought they were. They thought they were already reigning. Paul says, I've got a surprise for you. He says, actually, look at verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, which is also where those people ended up after they'd been paraded and shamed through the streets of Rome, they threw them to the lions. That's what they did. And everyone cheered as they died a gruesome death. That's the arena. We've been made a spectacle for the whole universe to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. (laughs) You know what? We can't get non-Christian people to think we're great. And I'm really encouraging you, young crew, particularly tonight. It's great to have friends at school, but don't make compromises to make friends at school. They might love their version of the goon of fortune. And it might look funny, and it is funny, just quietly. It is funny seeing people doing laybacks with a, with a cast of wine. It's very Australian. But it's not Christian. And we're not slaves to sin anymore, so we don't have to partake in everything they do. In fact, it's actually something good for your soul to say no sometimes to things. Say, you know what, I don't care what you think. Someone says, oh, that social media post, what a loser. That photo was crap. I reckon rather than trying to run away and feel sad that no one loves you, just go, yeah, and your hair's crap too. Yeah, you idiot. No, I don't mean that. Don't do that. Because Paul says, don't fight back like that. As much as we'd love to. Yeah, but you've got a fat head. Look at your head. Cry yourself to sleep on your huge pillar. Your head makes your neck look like a toothpick. (laughs) Call your friend Sputnik as you walk away. (laughs) All references to an old movie from the 90s. Called the... (laughs) So I married an axe murderer. Do yourself a favour if you haven't seen the movie. No, don't do that either. (laughs) There used to be a song in the 90s called Whatever. Oh, I was down the beach and I saw Kiki and Kiki comes over. She's like, all, uh, and I just went, yeah, whatever. And I saw Leroy and he's like, what's she doing, man? He's like, yeah, whatever. And then the officer, whoever his name is, comes over. I think, I thought I told you. Yeah, whatever. It's very biblical. Whatever. And it's not just for young people. It's for all of us. It's hard to be a fool for Christ. But is it really? No, because we're hidden at the moment and one day we'll be revealed. Just got to be patient, be patient, like a Sheffield Wednesday fan. (laughs) We've had a really hard three years, really hard. I'm telling you, we got relegated to the third division and wow, didn't all my Liverpool and Manchester United friends remind me of where my station in life was at the back of the procession. (laughs) But did I argue and call them Sputnik? which, by the way, is a Russian satellite, if you're wondering the reference. No, 
I love my friends, I didn't really care. But this week, Sheffield Wednesday won at Wembley and they've been promoted to the championship. Ew! After winning two games in the semis, in the first game, they lost 4-0. Everyone wrote us off. Oh, you're hopeless. Second game, I didn't watch it because I didn't want to do it to myself, but we won 5-1. And we scored the own goal as well, so we scored all the goals. <laughs> and then it went to penalty shootout, and we won the penalty shootout. So we had to score 11 goals to get into the final. That, we never score 11 goals. Sheffield Wednesday scored it. Christian, you have that in you as well. Do you know Darren Moore had been saying to the players, don't give up, you've been beaten 4-0, don't give up, believe that you can do this. And if a soccer coach can say that to a soccer team, how much more can we believe in the one who has sent us? We are servants of Jesus. So next time you find yourself in a pickle, in a difficult situation where someone judges you, don't be like the Corinthians and pretend you're all that. Don't also fight back. But it's okay to be in the procession with Paul. Think of Paul. He's walking along in the procession being paraded through the streets and everyone's laughing at him and yelling at him. Yet what does he do? Verse 12, he says, you know what we do? We, we, well, go, let's go back to 10. We are fools for Christ, but uh, you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags and we are brutally treated and we are homeless. Now, if anyone has an excuse to think, you know, oh, my life's not going anywhere. It's someone in that situation. If I feel sad being in the third division, how do I feel if I'm like the apostles? Literally, physically in this situation. But what does he do? Looks to the future. Number one, because he's a servant of Christ. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. When we've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. If someone in your house treats you like the scum of the earth, imagine you go home and, and imagine Elijah comes home tonight and he walks in the door and I say, you're the scum of the earth. You're garbage. Imagine if Elijah goes and unpacks the dishwasher. No, I know, I know. That is the best reaction all night. That's why I love Millie so much, because she's right. If, if, as if Elijah would say that. But Paul's saying, he would actually, he'd probably feel sad, <laughs> but he would, he probably would. But this is what a Christian does. Why does a Christian live like that? Why doesn't a Christian go and punch on in the family? Okay, let's just pause here for a second, because because I think that sometimes when we get exasperated and angry and sad, we unleash on each other. And we say all sorts of things to each other, particularly siblings, that we regret in later life. I regret some of the things I've said to my brother when I was a kid. I still remember some of the horrible things I said to my brother. But here we've got a chance for a fresh start because we're Christians. And we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we can do better. Next time you find yourself raising your voice at home and going for the good yell, it feels unreal, by the way, doesn't it? It's like the goon of fortune, isn't it? You know, you get that layback on the goon of fortune, you feel 100% better for a couple of minutes till that cheap wine starts to do its job and wreck you. Do you know I was in the pub the other day at Guymere Pub? I like to go up to Guymere Pub to write sermons. Two reasons. I'm a servant of Christ and I have the mysteries of Christ. I go up to the pub as a servant of Christ and I sit there and I watch NRL 
replays while I'm writing my sermons and I listen to 80s music and have a soda water. Sometimes I have a cheeky beer. But I sit there and I hear what people are talking about. And I heard two guys talking the other day and one of them said, how you going, man? He said, not real good. The doctor says I'm going to die if I don't give up beer. And the other guy said, mate, you've been going hard since the 80s. You're a hero. It's not going to get you. You'll be all right. You're going to go hard, man. Just stick to six beers a day and you'll be fine. That's not much. And the guy goes, you reckon? He goes, yeah, man, your liver can cope with six beers. I read it on the internet. It's like drinking water, man. He's like, yeah, right. He goes, but I can't work. I feel so sick. He goes, you know, you go down to the, to the whatever the place is where you can get some money. You tell them you need your super. And you tell them that you've got this guy as a lawyer and he gave him a card. This guy as a lawyer will be able to get your super to you so you don't have to work. And the guy's like, really? And I sat there and I started crying. How's the goon of fortune after 30 years? And then the guy goes on and says, you know, I'll make his name up. You know, Fred died last week, eh? He goes, yeah, man, he went hard though, eh? Yeah, man. He drank until the end. He partied. Remember when we were young and we said, you know, we have the right to party. You know, there's an old song, wasn't there? Got to fight for your right to party. These blokes fought for their right to party. And here these two old blokes my age sitting in the pub. One of them's dying. His mates died last week and they'd been to the funeral. The other guy's sitting there dispensing wisdom. And I'm just like, man, I felt compassion, not anger. You know, there's a sad thing happening in our culture at the moment where some of us as Christians are feeling like we don't want to just get angry at home, which I'm trying to explain to you tonight is not a good thing. Please don't do it. Please stop yelling at each other. Please put the Bible into practice and build one another up instead of ripping into each other. Generations, mums and dads, kids, try and work as a team. You're not at war with each other. If you feel upset, please just tell your mum and dad, I'm upset. Don't yell. You used to do that when you were a baby. Not a baby anymore. Babies would scream and cry when they needed milk. But you don't need to scream and cry now. You just need to say, mum, dad, carer, I feel crap. I want to go and do a goon of fortune? Mum will go, nah. Let's work hard with our hands. And when we're cursed, we'll bless. When we're persecuted, we'll endure it. When we're slanted, we'll answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth as Christians. We're garbage to the world. But you know what? We're going to have compassion on them. Because you know the screaming crowds that were there, screaming for the blood of the captives that Paul was associating himself with? It's exactly what they did to Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus came into Jerusalem one day and they were singing Hosanna in the highest. The next day he's on a cross and he's dying and they're jeering at him and yelling and calling for his blood. Did he get angry or yell back? The reason you don't yell at each other in your family is Jesus didn't even do that to the people who were killing him. And can I say, let's expand this metaphor to say as Christians, let's not get angry at the world if they maybe laugh at us. As Christians, sometimes we're getting a bit, getting a bit of heat at the moment a little bit. At work and in our families and in our sporting clubs, sometimes we worry a little bit about what we should say and what we shouldn't say. We worry that the TV seems to be putting the boot into Christians a bit. But just work with your hands. When you're cursed, bless. When you're persecuted, endure it. When you're slandered, answer kindly. Become the scum of the earth. Embrace it. Do you know why? Because you're a servant of Christ 
and you have the mystery. Can I finish on the mystery? Jesus carried the mystery by himself for a while and in Matthew 9, he looked out over the crowds and he had compassion on them. And he looked at them and they were full of disease. I won't read it out because I'm running out of time. They were full of disease because they had no doctors in modern medicine. They were diseased, these crowds. So the crowds cheering and jeering at Paul and at Jesus were diseased, very unhealthy. They were oppressed by the Romans. They didn't have enough to eat. And the average life expectancy of someone who lived in Rome was 28, 29, 30 years old because so much disease in the city. And when they jeer at us and laugh at us, I, I think to myself, oh, you poor thing. You know, if you're a young person and you're at school and people are giving you grief for being a Christian, one day one of those people might be sitting at Gaimia Pub telling someone else, just drink six beers, man. You'll be all right on six beers. We don't, we don't actually get angry at people who get angry at us. We actually love them. This is what Paul says in verse 17 to finish. For this reason I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Jesus Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Some of you become arrogant, as if I was not coming to you, but I will come very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find not only out who these arrogant people at church are talking about, about all the power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but about power. And I'd love you to go home and have a think about that. You have power, Christian, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here tonight and you'd like that power, maybe make tonight the night that you go from being a crowd person yelling and chucking stuff at Jesus to someone who walks over the road and joins in the procession. For the sake of Jesus and for other people, we don't fight back. Because how are people going to go to heaven if we fight them? Whether we fight them with left-wing politics or right-wing politics, it doesn't matter. If we're arguing with everyone on Facebook all the time and just trying to win arguments at school about, you know, whether Target should sell this product or that product, whether people should buy Bud Light or not, whether, whether people should vote for the Liberals, the Labor or the Greens, we can, we can do those things and have those conversations. That's really good. But let's do it in the community like we are at home. So my, my, my thought tonight is when you're at home, practice being a servant of Christ and sharing the mystery of Christ at home. Because the more you practice, the better you'll get at it. When you're outside and someone has a go at you, you can be lovely and gentle in spirit, as Paul says there in verse 21. And wouldn't it be lovely if people know us as lovely and gentle people? You know what they actually already do? I'm going to finish with this. Recent research has said that one in four Australians know at least two Christians. Now, that means three in four Australians don't, so that's, that's a problem because we've got to get out there and tell those people about Jesus. But the one in four people who know a Christian were asked to say what they thought of Christians. Did they call us bigots? Did they call us homophobes? Did they call us all the other things some people call us? No. They said the, the, the general response from those people in the survey was... Christians are gentle and compassionate and kind people. Isn't that awesome? I think we are that because Christ has made us that. And my encouragement is live it, enjoy it and do it.